0: The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today I'm excited because we're going all the way to Western Australia, way, way far away, to get the autism self-advocate the man who's Mr. Justice, Mr. Tom Oliver. Tom, welcome.
0: Oh, thank you very much, Haki. That's a very kind introduction.
1: Well, uh, it's very kind what you do in a very self-sacrificing way to make sure that all of us have justice, especially those of us whose brains are a little bit different. We might have autism. And um, um, you have devoted your life to Justice, justice. How would you get into that?
0: Yes, and I I should say, um, so I was diagnosed with autism uh, about five and a half years ago when I was 15. Um, And I'd like to say that when I was diagnosed, um, I, I remember my parents sitting me down and telling me as such, and I felt that they imposed this disability on me. And I immediately sought recourse to the internet and I actually found your podcast, Haki, and I was listening to the people you interview on, on different brains. And, and and it was really quite astounding because, and I'll say, it's really important, the work you do, because I remember feeling like I related more so to people I found on the internet, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, than people that I was surrounded with. Um, and I think that's the nature of autism. So I just thank you for your work, Haki. Um, really important. And
1: yeah. Well, thank you for the kind words. And, uh, you know, it's it's just that all of our brains are different. And if we get the whole world to just look at each individual and say, oh, yeah, so he's a little bit different. She's a little bit different. How can I help that person achieve their goals? And look at you, look at all you're accomplishing. And you're rooting for the underdog, you're rooting for the autistic individual got him or herself into trouble with the law. What made you gravitate toward justice and the law? Yeah, I guess I always looked up
0: to lawyers because they always stood up for what they believed in and they were in a position to make change. Um, And I felt that it's really important for people who are autistic who are lawyers to to become lawyers so that they can initiate change for the causes they believe in and, and stand up for other autistic people. Um, I've always loved rules. And so I think naturally it it suits me dispositionally, diagnostically um, on account of my autism. Um, I think that that technical um, attribute the, high attention to detail, which is incumbent upon lawyers, um, suits autistic people to go into the legal profession. Um, And I do have a very strong sense of justice. Um, And as much as I do love rules, I like finding loopholes around rules. So so that helps. Um, And, yeah, I remember um, when I did um, go to law school, I studied law and biomedical science at present. I've got two years to go. And I started doing internships at criminal defence firms. And what I saw hacking was really quite astounding. I would have been, you know, barely um, 19 years old, just finished my first year of law school. And I remember the clients that were coming in, a huge proportion were indeed autistic. And a lot of the clients that came in had um, criminal intent, malice, really full-on stuff, but what I found was empirically a lot of the autistic clients, um, certainly no criminal intent, um, started off with really inadvertent, uh, trivial matters which had simply escalated, Um, and I was really quite astounded. I went away, I did some research and found that um, whilst 2% of people are autistic, Um, approximately four to five percent of prisoners um, are autistic and that doesn't include the undoubtedly numerous undiagnosed autistic prisoners Um, and I think that study was done in 2014 or 2015 so it's it's and more people are being diagnosed um, for obvious reasons and so um, the statistics are really skewed and so um, I went away I sought recourse to Various mentors, um, some Harvard lawyers, and some Cambridge University medical researchers whom I know, and did some legal research and distilled the cases into three distinct categories of autistic characteristics. And we distilled them down to uh, number one was um, inability to read and respond to social cues, number two was um, hypersensitivities, whether that be to to touch, sound, smells, or the like, and number three was obsessive interests. Um, and we did found a number of case law. Every case fit that were, that involved an autistic offender seemed to fit in to one of these characteristics. And I delivered a TED talk on this, and it's it's really blown up. Um,
1: you know, it's interesting. You use the word intent, which I just heard today, and it struck my ears because of a couple of cases of horrible mass murders that are just ongoing in the United States as of yesterday and today. And um, uh, the the word intent came up and there's obviously a difference, um, which is so clear in your mind between uh, somebody who um, accidentally misunderstands something and does something against the law versus the other extreme, which is someone who's written a manifesto about how they're going to murder everybody, and they hate everybody, and they're going to kill them. You know, those are two different things. Um, how have you been um, finding the education of the people in the justice system? Have you found a willing audience amongst law enforcement than the justice system itself?
0: That's a, that's a really ins- insightful comment and, and, a, and a great question. And before I answer, I, I'll say that one of the first cases I came across which really um, highlighted this, this grave issue for me was the case of Darius. And, and he's from the US. And essentially, um, Darius, um, autistic people tend to have obsessive interests, and he was obsessed with the public transport system. And Darius was taught as a child by employees of a train station in New York uh, to drive and operate trains and buses, getting his passengers um, from A to B, all in perfect timing, all passengers satisfied with the service. Um, And as an adult, Darius was, uh, Darius just decided to get in a train. He wasn't employed and he decided to get in a train and operate it, getting his passengers, as I say, from A to B. All in perfect timing, doing a perfect job, um, but he wasn't an employed, and so he was charged with impersonating a federal employee. Uh, he was imprisoned, and upon his initial imprisonment term, he um, again was released, and then decided to again drive and operate trains and buses because it's all he knew. And he was again imprisoned, again released, and the, and the cycle just continued. And Darius, so this is a real life case, and Doris's Spent most of his adult life incarcerated um, and segregated from society. And, and I think it, it really behooves us to consider, um, Haki, whether in such cases, are we merely in punish are we merely punishing Darius for being autistic or punishing him for his offense if he can't help? Uh, is, is if it's um, due to his underlying autistic characteristics? Um, and, and to answer your question, I would say that probably the most recipient um, target audience, if you like, has been uh, autistic or, or parents of autistic children. Um, and I say this because they tend to be very fearful, um, even if their child, son or daughter, hasn't yet been caught up with the justice system. They, I, I hear all too often, Hacky, how, you know, you know, they tell me just how easily they could see their child um, doing something which they... Uh, can see would render them susceptible to um, being construed as a police officer as um, that which ought to be flagged and then um, really non-exhaustive um, examples of cases where, um, you know, an autistic person might be stimming, they might look like a drug addict to a, a police officer and, um, they might be questioned, they might misunderstand what a police officer is telling them to do or say, um, that can damage their case. Uh, really, really not exhaustive. Um, but to answer your question, it's it's been really one which is receptive. Um, the audience has been really receptive, but I have been surprised by the lack of lawyers who specialise in this area globally, um, there's only one in, because I'm based in Australia, and there's only one other lawyer I know of who's in a different state to myself. She's in South Australia. And I know uh, Carol Weinman in the US, um, who I think you interviewed. No, she's no, she's very good. Yeah, she's very passionate about what she does and, and a close colleague of mine. And, and there are, I forget the names of others, I think I know approximately five in the US. And it's what I've been trying to do and it's what I want to do when I graduate from law school is is indeed set up my own law firm defending people with disabilities and autism alike and and really fighting for a justice system which caters for all. Um, I do work as a consultant um, at a a boutique, very small criminal defence firm. And it's actually quite heartbreaking because I do receive, since um, my TED Talk's been published and since being named a Young Australian of the Year finalist, um, I've received, I still receive approximately 20 emails per week from people, I'm talking around the world, complete strangers, um, who enlighten me to the specific uh, comprehensive circumstance which they're in, whether that be they're autistic themselves and they've, they've um, you know, come into contact with the justice system or someone, a loved one, uh, and it's really heartbreaking because they say, you know, please help me. Any help is is appreciated, but because we live in a jurisdictional legal system worldwide, um, you know, you need counsel in various jurisdictions. Like if I commit an offence here in Western Australia and I'm autistic um, and I want to see counsel from a lawyer who's in South Australia, I can't do that. Um, I do do guest lecturing uh, at Curtin University here in Western Australia. Um, lecturing on autistic individuals caught up in the justice system, trying to uh, educate law students uh, as to these issues. But I would, I do agree with you, and I, and I, that's that's actually really exciting. Um, getting global interest in this. Um,
1: yeah, because it's maybe- self advocates like yourself mm-hmm. who, who seem to have the fire, but many times. They don't have a vehicle because the vehicle doesn't exist.
0: I did want to bring up a point, um, just because it's just um, escaped my mind. We we did, in terms of uh, global advocacy, what we what we did do, which I thought would have greater impact, but because of various red tape, which I'll explain now, it it hasn't come as as we'd like. Essentially, we we saved. So essentially, through. My TED talk and bringing in lots of clients, we were able to save one particular autistic client from 15 years of imprisonment. And that um, brought about a lot of media attention. Um, and we essentially set a precedent um, for suitable therapy over imprisonment for an autistic client, um, notwithstanding that typically um, comparative cases would have definitely received imprisonment terms. But what what, we, what was disappointing about that particular case and, and cases like this one that we, we see at the firm are that we essentially have to have, you know, a sort of sidebar conversation with the prosecution, sort of re- requesting sort of uh, mercy almost, if you like. And in that particular case, um, which happened fairly recently, the prosecution didn't actually request a specific term of imprisonment to, to his honour. And so... We were sort of lucky, I would argue, because I get a lot of questions about that case. Um, but but I, I do think we were sort of lucky. And what I'm trying to do through the platform I have is make more sort of pull the weed out by the roots rather than merely snapping it at the stem, and make much needed and long awaited law reform. To the in in Western Australia, we have the the West Australian Sentencing Act of 1995, um, but there are equivalent legislation across the world and essentially this sentencing act we want to we want to add an insertion such that judges in their judicial discretion uh, must release an autistic offender where their autistic characteristics are the underlying cause for their crimes those being inability to read and respond to social cues obsessive interests hypersensitivities um, so that they can get the suitable therapy uh, they deserve Um, the Studies show that autistic people do not respond effectively nor even adequately to mainstream correctional settings. Uh, autistic people do not well in prison.
1: What advice would you have for the autistic individual themselves and their families uh, in regard to all of this? I
0: get a lot of pe- questions about parenting, and I, I do, I will say before I answer it, that I do get a lot of uh, concerning propositions to the effect that. Uh, you know, you're obviously cured of autism. How can I cure my son or daughter? And to that I say, yeah, there's there's <laughs> you've mixed up the presupposition there. Um it, there's no cure for autism. You wouldn't want to cure it. Um, it's it's a way of life, it's it's who you are as a person, and and there's no cure, nor should there be. Um, it's it's a strength, it's it's not um Purely a disability, like any person, there are strengths and weaknesses. Um, I wouldn't take my autism back for a second. Um, I also get a lot of questions around, um, you know, where the line is between pushing an autistic person out of their comfort zone. They obviously typically love structure and routine. Um, they, 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 in in light of having um, special interests, they tend to. Um, gravitate towards the same thing over and over again uh, they it's it becomes their way of life and parents often think that they ought to try and push them out of their comfort zone but at the same time uh, you don't want to um, push them too far out of their comfort zone to the point where they're having you know anxiety induced comas you know meltdowns uh, if they can't cope and so uh, it is it is a fine line, and and I'm not a parent myself, um, and so I, I can only sympathise. But I would say um, it's important. I think it's important to listen to the autistic person, um, and I think I, I will I will say, and I'm really struggling with this open-ended question, so I apologise, but I will say. Um, I will I will touch upon the correlation between employment and the justice system, Um, and I think it's it's it would be unwise of me to unwise of anybody to think that um, the two are mutually exclusive, Um, because um, I think the studies show that merely twenty percent of autistic people are currently employed, uh, which is which is baffling to me because they tend to be good at one thing they tend to be Very specialised, and so if they can just go into that area, you know, I talked about Darius earlier. If he could be employed by that, um, by that train station, uh, why not? He's doing a perfect job, Um, but because he has a criminal record, he he can't he can't be employed. And and so I think um, we ought to rethink the way we employ people. I think we ought to refine down what actually matters in an employment setting, uh, because. In, the way, in terms of the way in which it, it affects the criminal justice system, um, if you don't have a vocation, you're more susceptible to um, getting in touch with the wrong crowd. Um, and because autistic people tend to mask around, um, mask other people's behaviours, it's all the more important that they're surrounded by people who are of good influence, uh, people that they can relate to, so potentially or preferably other autistic neurodiverse people. Um,
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think the the tack that's been taken with some of the large corporations uh, has been, uh, uh, and I know when I speak, I point this out to the corporations that uh, don't do it to be nice, do it to make more money. Yeah, if, if I hire a Tom Oliver instead of a quote neurotypical, all right. Um, if I am able to harness what's special about your gifts, I'm going to make more money as a corporation. <laughs> so it's it's a victimless crime, you know, go ahead and do it. As opposed to do it because it's a, be a wonderful human being and everything. Well, I was, I was talking to, I was,
0: I was invited to speak at a, at a, a global webinar with, um, it was there was a representative from IBM. There was a representative from J.P. Morgan Chase and other other organizations. I remember a guy. I can't remember his last name. Lee from J.P. Morgan. He was uh, a vice president there, and he said that studies out of J.P. Morgan Chase were showing that autistic people were 110 percent, 120 percent rather, more productive than neurodiverse interns at their organization, which I thought was was quite staggering. Um, but I will say that. Uh, for example, I, I'm doing an internship at the moment because I'm in the latter stage of, of law school with through an autism internship program, but it's designed for ICT and engineering, that sector. And I think um, firms are getting so caught up and, and at the risk of stereotyping autistic people because they just see autistic people as software engineers or uh, ICT professionals um, and I think it's time um, to see that autistic people have talents in a variety of areas. Um, I think the stereotype's contaminating um, that, that viewpoint. Um, I've been asked to speak at the Law Society of Western Australia this, this Thursday, uh, which is the governing body of the legal profession, to, to talk about how we can get more autistic people into into the legal profession. I mean, I don't know any autistic lawyers in WA. That's for sure. And and I think the answer is um, being more proactive in seeking out candidates. And 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 I think whether that be through collaborating with the the local non for profits, uh, autism service providers. Um, I just think there's such a, a large emphasis on you know the STEM fields. Um, for better or for worse, um, so I'll leave that. But I'll I'll also say that, um, you know, I, I think the it, the trouble I have is I, I people often say that, um, oh you've obviously you know you're obviously on the, the higher end of the spectrum, Tom. You've you've sort of made it. You, you know, other other people might be lower functioning and therefore have greater difficulty. Um, and to that I say that when I was in in elementary well, primary school which is in Australia, that's before you go to high school. I remember at recess and lunch times in, in the breaks, I really, really struggled, Aki. I actually, I remember I still had vivid memories all the way through uh, simply crying and, and uh, running away to a dark corner or, um, you know, going to a, a lodging or, or, you know, a, a dark tunnel or just anywhere to get away, I found... The unstructured environment um, didn't understand how to converse with other people. I found having a conversation like having, like playing 10 different chess games at once. The, each time you say something, there's a greater possibility of exponential um, potential responses. It's it's too overwhelming. And so, and, and I, I look back when I got my diagnosis of autism and I think just how easily it could have gone wrong for me. Um, you know, was very. I think, especially as a teenager, you're more susceptible to being angry, um, especially if you don't understand yourself. And that's why I'm so passionate about the work I do because um, I take great pride in the work I do because, um, essentially, you know, if I were to be imprisoned, incarcerated at that age, uh, I really don't think um, things would be well would be good at all. To, to put it lightly, and so. Yeah, I just think um, I, I also see parents who say that they go through this so-called grieving process when they first hear of their, their son or daughter having an, an autism diagnosis, and I think that's such a shame because I think thereupon they they grieve ambitions and what, what their son or daughter could do in life, and therefore the, the bar's just dropped. So far down. And I don't think that's necessary. I find it to be highly superfluous. Um, I remember when I first went into the legal profession, um, because essentially I was really worried about entering the legal profession because I I struggle enough with interacting, knowing when to talk, um, understanding social cues, knowing when people are meaning what they say or whether they don't. Um, And And with the legal profession, there are even more uh, social conventions, non-written social conventions I'm referring to. And so I was very, very concerned. But I remember my first job, I went in and I was in the waiting room and this lady came out and she said, oh, Tom, welcome. And she took me into this this room and it had two chairs and a table. And she said, oh, right this way. And then she goes, "Um, Tom, grab a seat. And so I thought, okay. So I grabbed the seat. And I stood there (laughs) holding this seat. (laughs) And I remember thinking at the time, we were going to take this interview elsewhere because the the room's too small. I didn't understand. (laughs) So I was just standing there holding this seat. And it's a a miracle that I got that job. Um, There are just so many instances where um, I just think kindness can go a long way. Um, I do remember there was also one incident where I was working for this criminal barrister and we were in chambers working and I was I was still very young so this would have been you know sort of four years ago thereabouts um so just graduated from high school and you know wasn't uh, I've come a long way in terms of social skills from then. but um the barrister said to me um I think it must have been a hot day he said oh Tom feel free to take your jacket off and I said um oh no thank you I'd rather keep all my clothes on that's fine just completely oblivious and that was not deemed as socially acceptable apparently um apparently that was you know being a smart aleck like you say and it was completely misconstrued and i remember walking home afterwards and my friend ran up to me and caught up to me and said tom what were you what were you thinking like what were you doing i said what do you mean <laughs> i don't understand um so yeah
1: is there anything you would like to cover tom that we have not covered today
0: i'm very grateful for you having me on um as i say i remember when i was first diagnosed going on to, to different brains on the podcast and thinking it was so cool what you guys were doing just the objectives of the entire podcast um it, it's such a cool resource for people to have um, people who you wouldn't normally meet because it's very um a lot of the people that come on the show it's, it's very niche and so you can't really meet these people unless you go online And so it's a really important service you guys are providing. So thank you so much
1: for having me. Thank you for the kind words. And it's people like you who are leading the charge out there, the self-advocates who, um, unlike me, you're able to speak with much more clarity than I do. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, you're good. You don't know how good you are. That's, that's great. So I salute you. Oh, thank you. What's the main thing, the main thing that people don't realize related to autism and the justice system?
0: I don't think people understand that the sentencing rationales um, ought not apply in the same way as they do to a neurotypical person. And by that I mean um, general deterrence and I mean specific deterrence. And, and general deterrence is where you're deterring other people from committing like offences. And how that applies to an autistic person is it, it doesn't because you're. it's like saying, um, you know, I'm going to to punish an, this autistic person so that other people don't commit this same offence. But the reality is um, the this autistic client that we have um, it doesn't. It doesn't have autism, like or the the, the general public doesn't have autism, and so um, they don't need to be deterred in the same way as this person. And likewise, specific deterrence doesn't apply because um, specific deterrence being deterring the person that you're punishing from committing the offence again. Because and that this is the, the more important one because uh, the autistic person. Um, is committing this offence, as we've found uh, through these studies, through our findings, uh, as, for the most part because of their autistic characteristics which they're born with. And so by imprisoning these people, all we're doing is kicking the can down the road when they're released again because um, their autistic characteristics are who they are. You can't take them away from them. You can't associate their autistic characteristics from themselves. Um, they end up doing the same thing. They commit the same offenses in the same way. And so the only way to to solve this issue, if you like, is through tailored suitable therapy.
1: Tom Oliver, thank you so much for spending time with us here at Exploring Different Brains. And uh, we certainly hope you'll come back soon. Keep up the great work you're doing in Australia and all over the world. Thank you so much, Tom.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, Haki. It's been a pleasure. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains.
1: Visit us at differentbrains.org.